message is, if it's late enough to start, we're ready to start. And it's funny that uh, we would be sort of late today. Um, my son Timothy called yesterday and he said, you know, Dad, you're the one person we can depend upon to always be on time. And I went, well, that, that goes without saying every now and then. We, uh, we want to take our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Revelation today. Uh, we do uh, want to keep in prayer everyone that's making their way out to the house of the Lord. And uh, we know that there are some that are dealing with the weather and uh, so on and so forth. So we want to pray that the Lord will continue to bless and to guide and to keep them safe as they make their way in. We're going to the we're going to turn over to the book of Revelation, and as we turn to the book of Revelation, we want to once again we're going to go to chapter uh, thirteen, um, and we want to make sure that we have a good understanding of everything we're looking at here as well. Matter of fact, let's go down to verse eight uh, of chapter fourteen, and that's where we want to start our day today. As you recall, the last time that we were together. We were studying on Nebuchadnezzar as well as the rebuilding of Babylon. And uh, one of the things I pointed out, I'm not so certain that we have a clear understanding of what goes on with Babylon. But let's look at it one more time. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine and the wrath of her fornication. So as we want to begin this morning, we also ask that the Lord will continue to bless. So let's go to him in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us. Never let us get in a hurry, Father, but to always look at the things that we uh, are able to see, the truth of the things that goes on, and guide and continue to bless. Watch over us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you in all things, and guide and watch over us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now, there's a couple more slides I'd like for us to take a look at today, so Brother Joe, if you will, go ahead and let's take a look at the next slide. And I want us to make sure that we have a good understanding of what we're seeing with these slides. Now, this is something that has moved on from Babylon to what we now know of the original religion that moved from Babylon to uh, all the way over to Rome. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it said, And there was a great wonder in heaven, a woman... Uh, a, a, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve of stars and she being with child cried travailing in birth and, and pain to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head now I want you to see this just for a moment what makes this so interesting this is all a combination of both Rome and as well as Babylon as well. Now, notice that the woman that is sitting on this dragon, the woman sitting on this dragon is, if you notice the crown that she has on her head is a Babylonianish crown. It is one that literally shows us the things that are there. And you can also see some of the, the fixtures that she has. Uh, but we also notice that with this dragon, and by the way, I don't know if you see the angel that's over here on this side, and all of those kings that are, are bowed down to worship her, all of these have come into place because of a false religion. Now, 
I, we can get in a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, the, the old Baptists were never afraid of how much trouble they could get into or that they were looked upon because the old Baptists understood that Roman Catholicism was not Christian at all. As a matter of fact, let me say this to you, that it used to be that the Catholics would stand up and say, we're not Christian. I remember back in uh, the middle 70s, late 70s, I guess it was, I was already in the military, that there was being a push, and they always seemed to begin this religious fervor with the military. And I remember that they tried to force upon the military the acceptance of Mormonism, the acceptance of uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, the acceptance of other religions, including Jehovah Witnesses, calling themselves Catholic, or not Catholic, but Christians. And then, to make even matters more complicated, they began to say, and Catholics are Christians. Now, may I point this out to you? Catholics have never denoted themselves as being Christians. They have always denoted themselves as the word Catholic. Whenever we see the word Roman Catholic, that means Roman universe religion. The word Catholic literally means universal. And so when you think about this, they were proud of the fact that they were holding on to a universal religion. But the, the outtake of that religion has originated all the way back to Babylon, Babylon's time. So when we read here in chapter 14 that Babylon has fallen, and if you notice this twice, it has fallen as a government and it has fallen as a religion. Now think about that for a moment. The Babylonian government continues to be with us even to this day. Now a lot of people don't realize that, but if you think about the monetary system of this world, uh, all the things that happen around us, we begin to see so much of the uh, commerce and everything else that seems to go on. Look at verse 11, if you will, the same Romans chapter 14. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they had no rest nor... Uh, they had no rest day nor night, who worshiped the beast and the image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here they are kept, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So understand this. Because they have received this mark, there's going to be a great smoke. There's going to be great punishment that goes in. But remember this is that it all begins with what we see with Babylon. Notice also in verse 8 it says that there is the cup of her indignation. How many of you all notice that the woman is carrying a, a specialized cup? That means that she is carrying the cup of wine where we see the wrath of fornication that is there. And not only that, we begin to see a little bit more as we go into verse 9. Let's go ahead and go ahead with you well to the next slide. And in the very next slide, what we see is the image that is here from the land of Goshen. Now, remember this. Even though it says in the scripture that, that Jesus or my son shall come out of Egypt. Remember this is that Jesus did not go into Egypt. He went to the land of Goshen. Now, here's what's interesting about it. The land of Goshen is classified as being a part of the religion that we see uh, that continues on even to this day, which is the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith. Remember the promise that was given 
to Abraham at the very beginning of Genesis chapter 15. We can read about this. We can also read it in 14, where the Lord said to Abraham from the, the, the great sea of, the, of Egypt, the Nile River, all the way over to the, the river Euphrates. That is, part of the, that is part of the land that is going to be possessed. So when we see this land of Goshen, that we see on, the, on this side there, it was part of the possession that Israel was going to have. This was already promised to Israel. This is something that is going to be given to Israel. And so we should never uh, allow that to enter in that, oh, well, all of Egypt. No, it doesn't say all of Egypt. It said, my son shall come out of Egypt, meaning the land of Goshen as well. All right, I think that was the last slide in that, right, Brother Joe? That we have on this one, or was there one more? One more slide. Oh, by the way, so the question that came in was, is Rome spiritual Babylon? I don't know. Now, we, we see all the indications that Rome is part of it. I mean, everything we look at it, the seven hills that Rome was started with, meaning that, you know, a lot of people try to associate the seven hills of Rome. And understand this, that the religion moved from Babylon to Rome. Now, this happened through the four different visions that Daniel saw. Let's go take a look at that for a moment. In Daniel chapter 9, and everything is associated together, in Daniel chapter 9, we begin to see the same uh, application that is there. Now, notice what it says in Daniel chapter 9. Let me back up just a little bit here where I want to go. Notice once again is that Daniel is seeing different images for the first time in his life. Now notice again in the very end it says, verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make the end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. This goes all the way back to the time that, uh, you know, when we see the restoration of Cyrus uh, until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. Forty-nine years is going to be determined upon that. And threescore and two weeks meaning 69 years total, or uh, 69 years total. And the tree shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And this is all in preparation of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of, of, the, of the prince that shall come destroy the city, and... Uh, the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and in the end of the, of the war desolations are determined. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. How many of you see the word flood? How many of you have ever associated that word flood with what we see in Revelation chapter 12 where it says that the remnant shall flee into the wilderness and a great flood shall occur and the destruction. You see, there's little, there's little things that are written throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to help us understand. All the things that are given. Now, back in chapter 7 of the book of, Deuter uh, of Daniel, excuse me, Daniel, we also can go back to 7. It also speaks of 
the different beasts that are going to come up. And the different beasts that will come up, notice that in chapter 7, the, the greatest emphasis was about the, the Roman kings. How do we know that this is wrong? Because of what it says beginning of verse 16. I, Daniel, was grieved, and in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the vision of my head troubled me, so I came near unto one of them that stood by, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, and once again, these are four beasts, are four kings, which shall rise up out of the earth. Once again, this would, you know, he lived during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. He lived during the days of, of, Darius, of Darius and Cyrus. But he was yet to see, and he would never see in this lifetime, Alexander the Great. Nor did he understand exactly what the fourth beast was going to be. Because at the time of Daniel's writing, there was no Rome. There was a Rome, if you will, but not in the same power nor in the same abilities. Verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. This is where we begin to see Daniel saying, I'd like to know more about the fourth beast. Now he could understand... He could understand Nebuchadnezzar. He could understand Babylon. He could understand Darius and Cyrus. And understand this, that even though they came to power, they never moved the religion nor the framework of Babylon under their control, outside of their control. They left it right where it was at. But Alexander the Great began to do something that was a little bit of a difference. He not only destroyed Babylon as we know it in his power and his care, but he took the riches that were there at Babylon and he began to carry them out of that religion as well as the, the, the strength of what he knew. And he, when he died, he separated that into four different parts of his kingdom. Okay, notice again, and I know that the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured breaking pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his hand, and, a, and other that came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had great eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than, than his fellows. And I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now let's stop there for a moment. Are we still at war with the Roman Catholic Church? Now believe it or not, we are. Now, how much we understand we are, I don't know. But I remember this, that this was many years ago. Uh, most of us know Brother Troy McGahan. And I remember that Troy, being the young firebrand that he was, began to encounter a, a, a Catholic priest. And this Catholic priest, he just kept agon on and agon on and agon on this, this, in, this uh, Catholic priest. Finally, the Catholic priest had been fed up with enough, and he goes, I cannot wait till we restore persecutions back against people like you. 
Now, most of us would never anticipate that kind of response or that kind of answer given, but that's the truth. Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholics are a very patient organization. They have changed face. Most of us don't remember, and I'm just barely old enough to remember, the attitude of the Catholic Church during the days of John F. Kennedy. If you will recall, John F. Kennedy almost did not get elected because he was Roman Catholic. But because of his stance, because of his position, the Roman Catholic Church went against him. Now, I want you to get this. They, they, they were hoping that they would have a Catholic in the, in the White House and that having that Catholic in the White House would make things a little bit different, a little bit better. It never was better. However, when he passed on, when the Pope passed on, after John F. Kennedy and things of this nature, remember this, that eventually the first president to invite the Roman Catholic Pope into the White House was our own beloved Ronald Reagan. I mean, you remember that. He invited the Roman Catholic priest or the Roman Catholic Pope to come in to the White House because he was going to make this grandiosio tour uh, into this area. Well, we didn't hear nearly the public outcry, but there was some. There was some public outcry. Since that time, the, the new presidents have visited regularly with the Pope they have visited with the heads of states and so on and so forth, and all these things come in. But there's one thing that we must remember. Look at verse 21. And I beheld, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. That has not been get, happened yet. So the reality is, is that we know that the Roman Catholics are going to stay in power until, until, there, until this, this time frame that we see in Romans chapter 14. Not only that, but think about this. The Roman Catholics happen to be one of the richest non-identities in the world. Now they are a religion. Now here's the thing that really bothered me when I went to Rome. Everything is about money. I mean, there's gold everywhere. And, and the Pope puts on uh, you know, the, these robes and things of this nature to kind of let people know that, well, underneath the robes is this poor individual. Well, he doesn't eat like he's poor. He doesn't live like he's poor. But the reality is, is that he is classified as a poor individual. If you go to any Roman Catholic priest, they, are, they will tell you that they are made to suffer and the luxury of what they have around them. I cannot partake of the luxuries. And just ask them sometime. And you're going to find that this is truly a source that we need to be aware of. But more than anything, and I want you to think about this, the Roman government refused the title. And what I mean by that is they refused Pontifus Maximus. They refused Pontifus Maximus because they understood the great responsibility. Now, if you go back to Nebuchadnezzar, he was not only the Pontifus Maximus of the, the people around him, he was their God. When he elevated himself away from that, or when he was finally taken down by God Almighty, 
then the reality is that there was a great change that happened overall. Now, his religion, his, his economy, everything, moved westward to where you finally see this fourth beast, which is Rome. Now, at that moment, now understand this, it wasn't until right, right until after 500 BC or AD, excuse me, 500 AD, I think, when finally the first Roman Catholic Pope took on the title of Pontiff. How many of you have ever heard of him as his holy pontiff? Well, the word pontiff very simply means that it is a derivative of Pontifus Maximus. And pontiff means between God and man. They don't teach that you pray directly to God. They don't, pre they don't preach that you, because of salvation that is in Jesus Christ, you have direct connection. But what they do is they turn around and they hold back to the particular religion that we see goes all the way back to that first slide that we showed. You don't have to go back here, Joe. But that first slide where that woman was on the beast, they pray to Mary. How many of you ever wondered why they pray to Mary? The reason that they pray to Mary is very simple. God is a God of wrath. How many of us have ever seen God as a God of wrath? And so they want to point out this picture that God is ruthless, he's mean, he's terrible, he's a God of wrath. And yet his son is the only one that can really, you know, settle his dad down. Well, the way that he settles him down is we pray to Mary, who intercedes for us by going to the Son. That's exactly what, she, what they teach. And so Mary comes unto the, son, to the dad, or to the Son, and she goes, Would you kindly just tell your dad to calm down? To accept your free will graces? To accept your good gifts? And so when this occurs, what happens is you have Nimrod, Tammuz, Semiramis, all over again. You, you really have it all over again. Because the people don't realize that who they're praying for is not a God of, you know, the God that listens to his children, but he has to be made appeasement through the mother of Jesus. If you don't believe me, then research it for yourself. Prove me wrong. That's what I have to tell you. All right, now let's go ahead and let's look at the rest of this chapter. And I want to show this to you. I'm going to read the entire chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 14, and we're going to begin with our study there today. In Revelation, chapter 14, we're going to go to verse 1. And I looked in, lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, what's going to be hurtful for me, or difficult for me, is not to make comment as we go ahead. But we're going to do our best, okay? And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man can learn this song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, once again, we are we are told over in uh, Revelation chapter uh, seven who these are. 
we're going to go into that in a little bit. These are they which had not defiled, uh, had not been defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are uh, th they. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found in no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel. Now I want you to count the angels that we're going to see here throughout this message. Because what we're looking at is, and these are fresh notes that are in the back called six angels. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and, the, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the sec the, that great city, um, because she hath the nation's drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out on the mixture of the cup of the indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of God. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they had no rest night or day, or day or night, uh, whose worship and beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here, they, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which uh, die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to, do, to follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon that one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel, if you're, how many of you are keeping count, okay? And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he just sat on the cloud, thrust in the sickle, on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the midst of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. Now notice this is the fifth angel. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in the sickle in the earth and gathered the vines of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, I know that the, that's a long reading, but if you took account, there were six total angels and one extra voice that were mentioned. The reality is, is that out of these six angels, there is a great responsibility. The first angel opens up, and we'll probably only get as far as the first angel today, but we'll, we'll take it from there. 
the first angel speaks, and if you'll notice, the first angel speaks the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see that when it comes to verse 6. And I saw another angel. By the way, the word another means that more angels are included because it's a heavenly scene. Now, we have already seen a lot of angels. We have seen the, the angels with seven trumpets. We have seen angels that have been called to quickly uh, cause the uh, Israelites to fly into a new area. But notice that this angel came from the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Now, I want you to look at that, verse 6 again. And, the angel and I saw the angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach of them that dwell on the earth. Now, I had someone challenge me one time. They said, well, here's the thing. If we take, if, if every saint is removed off this earth, which we believe in the rapture, who's going to keep preaching? Now, I want, to, I want you to think about this for a moment. Who is going to keep preaching? Who's going, what message is going to be declared? I think there's a lot of people that are going to be surprised how many television evangelists are going to remain behind. And as those television evangelists come into place, they're going to turn around and say, well, you know, we thought this would be better. We thought that everything would be great. But he's going, they're going to have this wonderful answer why everything is the way it is. In other words, their religion is going to continue. Now, people might say, you mean to tell me they're not saved? Well, if they preach any other gospel other than Jesus Christ, no, they're not saved. The reality is, when we see this message from heaven, we know that two witnesses have already come, two witnesses have already died, and all these things are coming into place. There was 144,000 that were commissioned to go throughout the world to preach the gospel and the redemption of Christ. They have been evidently killed because of the fact is they stand in heaven before the Lord God in all of their power and all their glory. But the message of Christ and his gospel has not ended. By the way, the word gospel simply means euangelion. It means simply good news. And notice again, they have the everlasting gospel. Now, for it to be an everlasting gospel, this had to be prepared from the beginning. Now, think about that for a moment. From the beginning, with the creation of all things, God had already predetermined the gospel that would be preached. That Jesus Christ would come, that he would die immediately upon the earth, you know, after three years of ministry. He would establish himself and then bring his church about. If you don't believe that that's not mentioned everlastingly, then read Isaiah chapter 53. And that shows you again the power and the presence of everything that is there. But notice this as well. They preach the gospel unto every, to, to them that dwell on the earth. Now, are they able to hear it? I don't know. It's interesting that, that Brother Andy and I were talking the other day about the message that is written in the Word of God. Is it possible that someone can be saved by just reading the Word of God? I believe so. I really do. I, I, because the fact is, is that they may have more questions, they may seek out more things, but I really believe that they can be saved if that is the power of God to do so. 
And for us to say that it can't happen that way means that we don't really believe in the power of God. And to every nation and every kindred and every tongue and people, and notice the message that he cries out, fear God. And who is this being spoke to? To every man. Every man, every woman, every child. Fear God. has come. Now we're going to see the hour of his judgment coming into place beginning with verse 8. Now we're going to look at that next week, Lord's willing. And the worship of him that made heaven and earth and sea and fountains of waters. So we're going to finish there right now and Lord's willing we'll pick up there next week. Uh, we're going to be dismissed with a final word of prayer and then let's get ready for our afternoon service. Lord, again, I thank you for your blessings to us. We pray now that you will guide us and help us in all things to ever rejoice in you. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.